Chapter Eleven of the Fall River Tragedy by Edwin H. Porter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven Miss Lizzie Borden Arrested. Thursday was the last day of the inquest, and in its evening hours a veritable sensation was produced. The same impenetrable secrecy was maintained all day long, and no one knew what progress was being made behind the grim stone walls of the central police station, wherein Judge Blaisdell and the chosen few sat in solemn conclave. The scenes of the day before were enacted in the guardroom and the streets about the building. Crowds surged about the doors, and a double guard of patrolmen were doing duty in the hallways. The forenoon session developed nothing so far as the public was concerned. In the afternoon, Eli Bentz, the drug clerk, Fred Hart, another clerk, and Frank Kilroy, who saw Mr. Borden on the morning of the tragedy, strolled into the guardroom and were shown upstairs. Later, Bridget Sullivan, escorted by two officers, walked up the alley. She attracted no attention and appeared to be at her ease. The fact that Bridget walked from her temporary residence at 95 Division Street to the police station, a distance of more than a mile in the heat of an August day, while other women witnesses rode in a hack from the Borden house, a distance of less than an eighth of a mile, caused some comment. About three o'clock in the afternoon, the closed carriage, which had become almost as familiar a sight as the police patrol, rattled over the rough pavement. Half a dozen men were in sight, and in a twinkling, two hundred men, women and children, swarmed around the coach. The city marshal gave an order. Stuart Geegan cracked a whip. Officers hustled the crowd back, and Mrs. George S. Brigham alighted. She was followed by Mrs. Emma and Lizzie Borden. Then Officer Doherty disappeared with the hack and returned with another witness. The same crowd collected, but no one tried to drive it back. The excitement subsided. It was growing tiresome in Fall River. The reaction had set in. The community was losing its patience. For two days it had been informed that the end was near, and that the die was about to be cast. But at three o'clock the bulletin boards announced that no action had been taken and no verdict had been rendered, and the crowds muttered and grumbled. They wanted something done. Their interest in clues and theories and suspicious characters had about died out. More than that, they were no longer satisfied with reports of the proceedings and the inquest detailed step by step. They demanded the grand finale, which would bring the drama to a close or ring the curtain up on a new scene, but it seemed as if the grand finale had been indefinitely postponed. The hour dragged along, and the grey walls of the courthouse in the square kept their secrets, if they had any to keep. It was the same story over and over again. Witnesses known to be connected with the case appeared and disappeared. Officers were sent hither and thither, and various rumours were afloat regarding the probable outcome. From the time that the carriage rolled up to the entrance to the central police station at 4.30 o'clock, and Lizzie Borden, Emma Borden, and Mrs. George Brigham dismounted under the watchful eye of Marshal Hilliard, people commenced to congregate about the streets, contiguous to the station-house. By that intuitive perception by which the general public becomes aware of all important proceedings looking towards the capture or apprehension of criminals in noted cases, it was recognised that the most important movements of the long investigation had been entered upon, 
and that their passing were fraught with the greatest import to all directly concerned in the case as well as the public restless under the week's delay in clearing the way for the arrest of the murderer there was nothing remarkable in the appearance of the party miss emma borden being evidently the most agitated the excitement grew as the hour passed and there was no movement from the courtroom in the meanwhile information arrived that an expert safe opener had arrived from boston and had been driven hurriedly to the borden house on second street investigation showed the truth of this story and the further fact that he had commenced work upon the safe in which andrew j borden kept his books and papers this safe was found locked at the time of the tragedy and the secret of the combination died with the murdered man the expert believed he could easily open the safe but he found the combination most intricate and he worked away without apparent result at five o'clock marshal hilliard and district attorney knowlton came from the courtroom and entered a carriage soon the marshal returned but the district attorney was absent for nearly an hour and it was reported that he had visited the borden house and had learned that the safe opener had not completed his work outside the courtroom the stalwart officers kept guard and at the foot of the stairs in the station house the large force of newspaper representatives were on guard the subordinate officers who had been working upon the case expressed their convictions that the long-delayed arrest was about to be made and that lizzie borden would not depart from the station with the remaining members of the household soon bridget sullivan emerged and escorted by a police officer walked slowly down the street the gravity of the situation was apparent for the natural sternness of some of the officials including the marshal was increased to such an extent as to warrant the inference that something of importance in connection with the case was about to happen soon the inquisition was apparently ended and then lizzie borden her sister and mrs brigham were escorted across the entry from the courtroom to the matron's room which is situated upon the same floor an officer came out and soon returned with supper for the party miss lizzie borden threw herself upon the lounge in the room and the repast was disturbed but little across the room there was grave work and the decision of the authorities to arrest lizzie borden was arrived at after a consultation lasting but ten minutes the services of clerk were called into requisition the warrant was quickly drawn and the result of the long examinations and the week's work of the government was in the hands of the police force of fall river at this time the news was among the reporters but none were certain enough of the fact to dispatch the intelligence to the journals they represented the excitement became general and men women and children stood about the street and waited soon marshal hilliard came out accompanied by mr knowlton and as they entered a carriage a telephone message informed andrew j jennings attorney for the family that the two men were about to pay him a visit at his residence this information obtained but little publicity and not a few in the assembled crowds believed that mr knowlton was being driven to the boston train the marshal and the district attorney proceeded to mr jennings's residence and informed that gentleman that the government had decided upon the arrest of lizzie borden and recognizing that his presence at the station would be desirable had deemed it wise to notify him of the decision arrived at and the contemplated action the officials returned to the courtroom and were followed in a few moments by the attorney george brigham also came to the station and entered the presence of the women in the matron's quarters 
There was a moment's preparation, and then Lizzie Borden was informed that she was to be held by the government on the charge of having murdered her father. Marshal Hilliard and Detective Seaver entered the room, the former holding in his hand a sheet of paper, the warrant for Lizzie Borden's arrest, and after requesting Mrs. Brigham to leave the room, addressing the prostrate woman in the gentlest possible manner, said, "'I have here a warrant for your arrest, issued by the judge of the district court.' I shall read it to you if you desire, but you have the right to waive the reading of it. He looked at Lawyer Jennings as he completed the latter part of the statement, and that gentleman turned toward Lizzie and said, Waive the reading. The first and only time during the scene that the accused woman uttered a word was in response to the direction of her attorney. Turning slightly in her position, she flashed a look at the marshal, one of those queer glances which nobody has attempted to describe except by saying that they are a part and parcel of Lizzie Borden, and replied, "'You need not read it.' The information had a most depressing effect upon all the others present, particularly upon Miss Emma Borden, who was greatly affected. Upon the face of the prisoner there was a pallor, and while her eyes were moist with tears there was little evidence of emotion in the almost stolid countenance. The remaining members of the party then prepared to depart, and the effects of the arrest became apparent upon the prisoner. She still displayed all the characteristics of her peculiarly unemotional nature, and though almost prostrated, she did not shed a tear. A carriage was ordered, and Miss Emma Borden and Mr. and Mrs. Brigham prepared to leave. As they emerged from the station into the view of the curious crowds, the women, particularly Miss Emma, looked about with almost a pathetic glance. The people crowded forward, and the police pushed them back. Miss Borden appeared to be suffering intensely, and all the external evidences of agitation were visible upon her countenance. Mrs. Brigham was more composed, but was evidently deeply concerned. The party entered the carriage, and were driven rapidly towards Second Street. Lizzie A. Borden was accused of the murder of her father, Andrew J. Borden. The warrant made no reference to the killing of Abby D. Borden. That night the prisoner was overcome by the great mental strain to which she had been subjected for nearly a week, and when all had departed, except the kindly matron, the burden proved heavier than she could bear. She gave way to her feelings and sobbed as if her heart would break. Then she gave up to a violent fit of vomiting, and the efforts of the matrons to stop it were unavailing. Dr. Bowen was sent for, and he succeeded in relieving her physical sufferings. The prisoner was not confined in a cell-room of the lock-up downstairs. Judge Blaisdell, District Attorney Knowlton, and Marshal Hilliard are men of experience, good sense, and reliable judgment, and no other three men on earth regretted the step they had taken more than they. But from their point of view it was duty, not sentiment, which guided their actions. No other prisoner arrested in bristol county had been accorded the delicate and patient consideration which marshal hilliard bestowed upon miss lizzie borden no cell doors closed upon her until after an open fair and impartial trial before a competent judge and defended by her chosen legal counsel she was adjudged probably guilty during the afternoon medical examiner dolan doctors cone leary and medical examiner draper of boston held another autopsy on the bodies of the murdered people at receiving vault in Oak Grove Cemetery. They discovered a wound in Mrs. Borden's back, 
between the shoulder blades it was a frightful cut and was made by an axe or hatchet which entered the flesh and bone clear up to the helve it alone would have produced instant death in addition to this the doctors severed the poor mutilated heads from both the bodies and dr dolan took possession of the ghastly objects they were taken to a suitable place and the flesh and blood removed from the bones the glaring white skulls with great rents where the murderous axe had crushed were then added to dr dolan's collection of evidence which could not properly be called circumstantial the skulls were photographed in view of the severe criticism which had been directed towards the police from many quarters and by newspapers from all parts of the country a review of their conduct of this case might be interesting city marshal hilliard his position corresponding to that of the chief of police in other cities was sitting in his office at eleven o'clock on thursday august the fourth when a telephone message from john cunningham announced that a stabbing affray had occurred on second street assistant marshal fleet was engaged in the second district court and more than half the members of the police department were at rocky point on their annual excursion officer george allen was alone on duty at the station the marshal came from the office and sent officer allen to investigate the case allen ran to ninety two second street and was dumbfounded at the sight which met his gaze he stopped long enough to see andrew j borden's body lying on the sitting-room sofa the officer was back at the station in short order and this action alone has caused the most severe criticism the officer was to put it mildly taken considerably aback by the sight in the house and to put it not too strongly was frightened out of his wits he left no guard upon the house when he ran back to the station a general alarm was sent out and in half an hour every officer in the city had been notified and a dozen of them were at the scene they invaded the house and searched the yard and barn for some evidence to assist them in starting the work the cry went out from some source or other that a swedish farmhand dubbed the portuguese had done the deed this was the first clue and it started half a dozen policemen and the city marshal over the river to the borden farm the hunt ended the same afternoon and the clue was promptly exploded for the farmhands were all in their accustomed places and it was impossible to connect any of them with this crime before morning six new clues all more or less promising had developed among them was one which pointed to the startling suspicion that some member of the family might have been a participant directly or indirectly in the awful crime this was early and naturally looked upon as the most important of all and the officers worked day and night towards its solution others were not neglected and all the different clues were investigated by officers especially detailed to do the work assisted by officers in neighbouring cities and private detectives a small boy reported that he had seen a man jump over the back fence a frenchman had helped the same man escape toward new bedford and it was stated that he was the chief of a gang of gypsy horse traders encamped at westport two officers from fall river and as many from new bedford searched for this man and found beersley s cooper who accurately answered the description cooper promptly proved an alibi he was in new bedford on the day of the murder selling a horse to a well-known citizen john v morse was at first suspected of having had something to do with these horse traders morse had told the officers a story of his whereabouts on that day and a detail was sent out to verify his statement or find something to the contrary 
Morse's movements were easily followed, and it was soon well understood that he was not in the house at the time of the tragedy. During the time that had elapsed since the murder, a police cordon had surrounded the house day and night. The night after the murder, officers Harrington and Doherty were detailed to search the drug stores of the city to see if any member of the family had endeavoured to purchase poison, a hint to this effect having been received by the department. At the store of D. R. Smith, they found that Lizzie had but recently endeavoured to purchase ten cents worth of hydrocyanic acid. The clerk was taken that night before Miss Borden and identified her. This was considered important. A report was received that a stranger had boarded the train at Mount Pleasant on the afternoon of the murder. He was said to have been covered with dust, and his clothes showed spots of blood. Investigation showed that he was a respectable citizen of New Bedford, and was in no way connected with this affair. Dr. Handy reported that he had seen a man acting wildly and strangely on Second Street that morning. The police ran down two men, one of them in Boston, who answered the description. One was a Fall River man, and he was doubtless intensely surprised at being chased by detectives or police officers who were imbued with the idea that he might in some way have been connected with the Borden murder. The Boston man was badly frightened at being seized as a suspect and established an alibi without difficulty. Mrs. Chase said she saw a man on the back fence in the Borden yard at eleven o'clock. He was found and admitted, with some hesitation, that he was there, the hesitation being due to the fact that he had been engaged in the reprehensible occupation of stealing pears. A stonemason who was working nearby saw him and informed the police of his whereabouts. On Saturday the police narrowed down to the theory, to which all their efforts appeared to direct in spite of themselves, and searched the Borden house and premises. On Monday they made another search. Tuesday the house was again besieged by the officers. Monday night the bloody hatchet was found on the farm in South Somerset. It belonged to an old man named Sylvia. The only thing that it had killed was a chicken. On Tuesday the district attorney and attorney general were called into the case, and an inquest was ordered by Judge Blaisdell. For three days it was in session, and all the evidence accumulated by the police was submitted. Medical examiner Dolan, Professor Wood of Harvard and Medical Examiner Draper held an autopsy on the bodies and worked in conjunction with the police. In addition to all this, an endless number of minor clues were worked on, and they all resulted in failure to connect the parties alleged to have been concerned with the murder of Mr. and Mrs. Borden. While the detectives were running down clues, Marshal Hilliard and State Detective Seaver were giving their personal attention to everything that might establish the connection of any member of the Borden household with the crime. The conditions were such that haste would have availed nothing, for there was no possibility from the time that suspicion was first cast in that direction of any of the parties in question leaving the city. Thursday the work of the police, as far as establishing in their minds beyond a reasonable doubt the identity of the murderer of the aged couple, was finished, and at four-twenty o'clock in the afternoon, Lizzie Borden, daughter of the victim, was brought to the central police station and retained there as a prisoner. This, in substance, comprised the labours of the police force of Fall River upon this celebrated case so far as the public was informed. End of chapter 11